Hi, Crossview Church. It's good to be with you. I have a few announcements that I want to share with you before our service begins. Uh, first of all, uh, if you haven't heard by now, we are reopening in two phases, and our first phase will be outdoor services that begin in two weeks. On June 14th, we'll have our first outdoor service. And just a couple things about this. If you haven't seen the video announcement about it, I'd encourage you to watch that. It's posted on our website, uh, and it covers kind of what we're thinking and what it's going to look like, and we'll probably answer most questions that you have. Also, this Monday, an email will be going out to everybody at the cross, in the Crossview Church uh, email list that will be kind of a survey that would help us prepare for the outdoor services. We're going to ask things like, do you plan on coming? Uh, do you plan on staying in your car? Or do you plan on sitting in the seating area with your family? And we're just trying to get numbers. We're going to plan on having two services, and we want to see uh, how much of the split where they'll be. So we'll ask you what service you'll attend. But if you can work on that survey, it's not that very, it's not long. It won't take you very much time. And if you can send it back to us by Friday, June 5th, we would really, really appreciate it. Um, the other thing uh, I like to say is you might be a family, a young family with a family of young kids. And you're thinking, how is this going to work? And I just want to encourage you to just make it fun make it like a picnic, uh, bring chairs. You can bring toys. Hopefully the uh, you know, the toys that don't make a lot of noise, but if they make some noise, that's totally fine. Uh, I look forward to being interrupted by little kid noise during these services. We're going to make this family friendly. And so if you have to turn it into a picnic and bring food, uh, bring toys, and even if you have to get up and walk around a little bit, if the little ones get, uh, need to get distracted and need to take them around, we totally understand since we're not offering children's ministry um, if you have to do that. So don't let that stop you. Uh, just kind of make it a family fun moment. And we're, we can't wait to work with your family to make this a really cool experience. So please plan on doing that. I want to shift now uh, and talk about something that's a little more heart-wrenching, um, and that's the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis that has captured the attention of our nation, and I think rightfully so. Uh, I'm not sure how you could watch that video and not feel some sort of horror or sadness. Uh, personally, I've seen the hatred and division and racism over the past month in ways that I didn't expect. Uh, and it shocked me and it saddened me. Uh, I've also seen it outside the church as well as inside the church. I'm talking about church as large in our country. Um, and that's really weighed heavily on my heart. And I feel it's time for us as followers of Jesus Christ to put our hearts before the Lord in these issues. And I just want to call us to that. Um, I think the church as Jesus Christ needs to take a stand uh, against racism and be seen front and center for these injustices uh, because I think they weigh heavily on the heart of God. And so I want to talk about a couple things related to that. First of all, in the case of racism, when we think about people like uh, George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey, and even the incident that took place in Stevens Point with some Hmong people uh, in countless places all over our country that don't have a camera recording what's going on. Um, th those kind of racist things, the things that are said and the actions that are made against somebody of a different race is senseless and sick and it grieves the heart of God. And it has to be called out as such. Every single human being is made in the image of God. 
And that's a biblical truth. And the Bible uh, calls racism a sin from cover to cover. And it's, we have to be, as the Church of Jesus Christ, vocal about that and take a stand against it. As I said, we've seen lots of, even apart from racism, division and hatred uh, lately. And this breaks the heart of God as well. When we take a personal preference or a personal opinion and we place that above the care and concern of another human being, another person made in the image of God that breaks God's heart, that his church would do that. And in this pandemic, we've seen lots of different views. We've been divided as a nation and it's okay to have an opinion on this. Um, But when it begins to divide the church of Jesus Christ, it's so not worth it. And I don't even think it's worth it when it starts to divide our country. And it's easy for human hearts to get caught up in these things, to get caught up into the rage, to get caught up into the anger and to pick a side. But if you've ever taken your opinion and you've enthroned that above the welfare of another human being to the point where you judge them, you disdain them, you dislike them, and you take joy in their demise, that's unchristlike. And I'm not here to judge you if that's happened to you, if you've gotten caught up into that and that's where you're at. I'm not here to judge you, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and that's happened, I am here to call you to repent, to go before God. Repentance is such a beautiful thing. And it's something that we all need, including myself and everyone else to go before God and say, God, forgive me for my sins today. Help me to turn from them and turn for you and ask God, what is it? There's a better way of dealing with that root anger and that root uh, uh, feeling that causes you to want to disdain than act out in hatred and bitterness and division. I want to talk a little bit about racism specifically as a church. uh, We have to stand against this and we have to minister to a broken nation that is divided over the issue of race. And there's three things I want to talk about that I feel God has put on my heart as the pastor across the church for us to do in response to this. First of all, I think we have to name it, name it. Racism in any form is wrong. It's an injustice. And as a person called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think we just have to name what it is that racism is a sin and it's an injustice. And we will stand with anyone who's been oppressed or worse uh, because of their race. So let's call it what it is. It's an injustice. Number two, we need to do something. At Crossview Church, I think this is just the beginning of something that God put on my heart that we're going to journey with and we're going to travel with. We're going to learn about. I want to see us over the next coming years to take steps to learn why this is such something, why this is something that breaks the heart of God and what we can do about it. We claim to be Bible and gospel people at Crossview Church. And the Bible is full of passages that say, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, racism should not have anything to do with you because it's a sin. Thankfully, God has given our church lots of resources and lots of things that can help us on this journey. And I look forward to implementing those in lots of various ways. I want to say, I understand the protests, but as Christians, We do not promote violence for violence or rioting that just causes more harm. Rather, we encourage peaceful, nonviolent actions to demonstrate. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the strong person is the one who will not hit back in the face of injustice, but who can stand up for their rights and yet not hit back. Human power 
under restraint allows the power of God to go forward in prayer. Which brings me to the third thing we should do. Not only do we name it, not only are we going to learn and do something about it, but number three, we need to pray. And I'm not talking about just a trite little prayer. I think we need to enter into times of intercession where we pray for healing for our nation, healing from these things. We need to pray for healing for the family of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and many others who have been affected by racism. We need to pray that God would examine our own hearts for the tendencies in us that may be pushed and pulled towards racism or the ways that we've been raised or the things inside of us that God isn't pleased with, that he would transform us and heal those things inside of us. As we just learned about in Psalm 103, that he will heal those soul diseases. And we need to ask him to do that. We need to pray for the extremely professional and good law enforcement officers we have in this nation. The overwhelming majority of law enforcement officers carry out that calling with professionalism, with self-sacrifice, and with courage. And we are so thankful for them. And it's injustice that sometimes in times like this, with situations like this, a cloud is cast over all law law enforcement officers saying that they're all evil and bad, and that's not true. The overwhelming majority in our country do their job so well, and we need to pray for them and uh, what the effects that this situation has on them as well. We need to pray that God will use the people in his church to stand and make a difference, to lead not with anger and hatred, to lead not with prejudice and racism, but to lead with love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So right now, I'd like us all, wherever you are, just bow your head with me and allow me to pray for our nation and our church at this time. Father in heaven, we come before you with heavy hearts, given the state of our nation and the incidents that happen. And father, we pray for the family of George Floyd who are mourning. We pray for the black community in our nation who's shocked and in, um, in a state of fear in a state of disbelief or maybe belief or state of disappointment. We pray for families of Ahmaud Aubrey and, and many, many others who experience racist things that aren't broadcast nationally. God, we ask for healing to come. We know that this breaks your heart. God, I pray that you examine our own hearts and you'd help us to be more like you. Father, we pray Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And we ask that you would search us, O God, and know our hearts, test us and look at our anxious thoughts. And if there's anything in us that's offensive, will you lead us in the way of everlasting life? God, would you do that for every person who is hearing this message right now and would call themselves a follower of yours? Would you do that? Would you search them and place on us anything within us that you want us to repent of? God, we pray for law enforcement all across our country, and we thank you for them. We thank you for the good that they do and and the calling they have. And Lord, I pray that you would um, encourage those officers who faithfully show up to that calling with courage and professionalism and self-sacrifice. And would you lift their hearts during this time as they're probably subject to a lot of thoughts and judgments that aren't true. God, we pray that you would help your church 
to learn and be mobilized, that we could be an agent of love and an agent of grace and an agent that would facilitate healing through this nation. God, what a time for your church to rise up. And so God, I just ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, your church would rise up in the United States of America in this place and time and be the catalyst that would bring about healing and unity and reconciliation as you so desire people to have. And so God, we pray to this end and I ask that you do this all in Jesus name. Amen. Good day. So glad that you've joined us today. We have so much to be thankful for and so much to worship our God for today. Do you realize that he is here? He's with us. He's watching. He knows what's going on in our lives and in our world. And he is powerful and at work among it all. So let's sing this first song together to just sort of get our hearts in that place where we're recognizing God here at work among us. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here. Touching every heart, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, healing every heart, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, turning lives around.
it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. It's called Imminent Sovereignty. You are not a distant Lord or a detached master, moving the pawns on the board in an impersonal act of winning. Your Lordship does not separate me from you as a serf would be separated from a king. No, you accomplished your sovereign plan by invading my dark and messy world in the person of your son giving yourself in radical grace to people who saw no value in your nearness. You are master and you are Emmanuel. You are Lord and you are father. You are king and you are friend. You are sovereign and you are shepherd. Your rule is not from afar. No, your rule brings you near. I have hope today because you are not distant. And I celebrate the amazing rest and strength to be found in the reality that your sovereignty has brought you near. Praise God. I hope you'll join me in just rejoicing in your heart of how amazing it is and what a good thing, a glorious thing it is to have a God who is sovereign and who is near to us in love and grace and mercy. We want to teach you a new song today called Sovereign Over Us. So let's try this together. There is strength within sorrow There is beauty in our tears, and you meet us in our mourning. 
love that casts out fear You are working in our waiting You're sanctifying Teaching us to trust Your plans are still to prosper You have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood You are faithful forever Perfect in love You are sovereign Wisdom unimagined Who could understand your ways Reigning high above the heavens Reaching down in endless grace You're the lifter
sovereign God. What a joy it is to recognize together this day that even though you are great and totally beyond us, you love us and you are near to us and you are watching us and you are present and working in our lives. Oh God, how grateful we are to live in a relationship with you. And we thank you for the opportunity this day to celebrate you together in this time, in this service. And God, we ask that you would bless each little part of our time together. God, the things that you want to say and speak into our hearts and lives, we ask that you would do it and that you would help us to respond. Father, help us to receive the things that you need to say to us and to respond. We love you. We trust you, our great and sovereign God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Crossview Church. It's good to be with you as we take time now to investigate a concept in God's Word. There's a hit TV show called Blue Bloods, where the commissioner of New York City's police department, Frank Reagan, played by Tom Selleck, uh, is involved in a crime he's trying to solve in one of the episodes. Frank has information that his friend, who's a Catholic priest, knows a lot more about the crime than he does because the person who committed the crime went to confession at the Catholic church and shared that in the confession booth with this priest. So in this scene, Frank Reagan goes to the church to talk to his friend, who's the Catholic priest, and he walks inside the church and both of them are there. And he explains that he wants that information from that confession. He's asking the Catholic priest to break a solemn vow that Catholic priests have to not reveal what has been said in confession. Then Frank Reagan says to his friend, the Catholic priest, come on, just tell me. It's just between the two of us. No one else is here but us. And the Catholic priest looks at him and says, wrong, Commissioner Reagan. There is someone else. And he's referring to God. And I think a lot of times we, whether we're Christian or not, can forget like that New York City commissioner in Blue Bloods that God is present. We can forget one of the most fundamental things about the Christian life, one of the most foundational principles of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is that God is everywhere and he's not just everywhere. We call that his omnipresence, that he's everywhere at once. And that's true, but he's active in that omnipresence. He's watching, he's seeing, he's looking at what's going on. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our deeds. He knows what we say and what we do. God is present at all times. Nothing escapes him. And that's a foundational part of the Christian life. There's a Latin term that describes this and it's called Coram Deo. And the early church labeled this term. And what Coram Deo means is living before the face of God. It means all of our lives, everything that we are, everything that we are created to be, our thoughts, our inward emotions, our actions, the things we say are lived out before the face of God, that he sees it all. And the early church made it a point that when people gave their life to Jesus Christ, when they confessed and they believed and they wanted to follow Jesus, one of the first things they taught them was this principle, that everything we do in life happens before the face of God, that he is always there. 
that he's listening and he's there to help us. He's there to guide us. And he's there even to correct us that it's an active relationship that we have with God. This is foundational to the Christian life. And there's many verses that describe this concept of Coram Deo living before the face of God. One is Psalm 32 verse eight. It says, I will instruct you and show you the way you should go with my eye on you. I will give you counsel. See before the face of God with my eye on you, I'll be there to give you counsel and guide you. Second Chronicles 16, nine says for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. God is active. He's scanning the earth. He's always there. And we live before his face. Then there's a great story in the new Testament about the apostle Paul. Before the apostle Paul became an apostle, he was Saul of Tarsus and he had a hatred towards Christians and he had a hatred towards the new church that was developing this Christian church. And so being a Jewish Pharisee and a Jewish leader, he wanted to exterminate these Christians who were propagating this Christianity. And so he would go city to city and persecute and kill people who were following Jesus Christ. And he was on his way to a city to go do that. And all of a sudden God showed up in a powerful way, a big bright light shone. He was thrown from his horse. He hit the ground. And this verse describes the event and his response. And it says, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? That was his response as a non-Christian person. And biblical scholars tell us that that phrase, who are you, Lord? Saul was acknowledging that God is, is all powerful, all knowing that he is a God who we live before his face and he sees all and knows all and he's sovereign over all. This is an important concept for us to grab and understand as followers of Jesus Christ. All of these verses and more we can see that they speak into this idea of Coram Deo, living before the face of God. And it's the true essence of the Christian life. To live Coram Deo is to place every part of our lives under the presence and the authority of God. Every part of our lives, our emotions, our thoughts, our desires, our goals, our actions, our words are placed before the presence and the authority of God. All of them lived out there to live in the presence of God means that whatever you're doing, it is being done with God present that he sees all, that he knows all. And there's two aspects of this idea of Coram Deo living before the face of God I want to talk about today. The first one is that living Coram Deo brings a God-empowered help for life. It brings a God-empowered help for life. As we saw in that verse in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 16, that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong, for those who are wholeheartedly uh, devoted to him. He gives strength. He gives help in the lives to those who are towards him. We receive strength from God when we live Coram Deo. It also brings us into a place of wholeness. We don't live a life that's in scattered in all sorts of different places, disintegrated, but we live a life of integrity, a life of wholeness. 
you know, sometimes we live life uh, in this world's very segmented. We think, okay, I have my church life and then my home life and then my work life and my uh, social life. And we have all these different lives. And it's almost like we switch gears into each one. And that's a poor idea of what true Christianity is all about. True Christianity is that we live all those things, Coram Deo, before the face of God. And we, everything we do, he is involved in. Everything we do, he sees. Everything we do, he hears. Everything we do, he comes to bring help to that we would live lives that would represent him in all those things. See, that's the picture of the true Christian life. If people live as Christians in segmented lives, it brings confusion. It brings contradiction. It brings chaos. But to live Coram Deo, when you understand that all the things I'm a part of, God, I invite you and I live my life before you. And I ask that you would use all of it and you'd guide me in all of it and you'd teach me in all of it. See, that's a different thing. That brings integrity. That brings wholeness. In fact, it could be said that the more unified you are in your heart towards God, the more power you'll experience in your life. The more unified you are in your heart towards God, the more power you'll experience in your life. Integrity and power is found in those who live consistent lives before God, empowered by his grace, empowered by his love. And they have this awareness that God sees all things. There's a second aspect of Coram Deo I want to talk about. And that's what the theologian of the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, called a God-entranced vision for all of life. I love how that sounds. Isn't that great? A God-entranced vision for all of life. It's like you pair, put a pair of God vision glasses on and all of life you see through the lens of God. God-entranced vision for life. That's what it means to live before the face of God. When you begin to live a God in trance vision for life, you see all of life through the lens and the heart of God. And when you do that, it changes how you view life. You take the grace of God that he's given you and you use it to bring him glory in what you do. It changes how you think. It changes what you say. It changes how you act. When you know that you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been bought with a, by, uh, with a price and God makes you his child. He calls you his own. And now he empowers you with grace and strength to represent him in a world that so desperately needs to see him. See that we will answer for how we live. We will give account. It says in Romans chapter 14, 11, 12, for it is written as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will Give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. See, that pulls out that aspect of Coram Deo that nothing is hidden from God. Everything we do is before him. We will give an account because we live before the face of God. Don't ever think for a minute that something happens in your life that's hidden from God. Don't ever think for a minute you could do something or say something that he's not aware of. When we understand that, it should lead us into lives of repentance and belief. You know, when a person comes to Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's two things that are required. That they repent, they turn from their sins and turn to God, and that they believe 
with their whole heart, giving all their life to Jesus Christ and who he is. But repentance and belief isn't just a one-time thing we do when we become Christians. We are to live lifestyles of repentance, lifestyles of acknowledging our belief in who he is. And living Coram Deo does that for us. It's important to say that there's something bigger. When we think of Coram Deo, sometimes we think, okay, I live my life before the face of God. That means God's there to look over me. And if I screw up just a little bit, he's going to take me out. And that's not the idea at all. There's something bigger in Coram Deo than a reluctant submission that's motivated out of fear of punishment. It's realizing that there's no higher goal or purpose than to live the way that God wants us to live. To live in a manner that glorifies him. God comes and he frees us from the penalty of our sin. And then he allows us to live before him in a way that we receive help and power, but also his guidance and correction at the same time. He's a good father that takes us, frees us, sets us free and transforms us and helps us. There's a story about President Abraham Lincoln that uh, one time he wanted to uh, purchase a slave uh, when slavery was uh, rampant throughout the South of the United States. He wanted to purchase a slave to set them free. And so he went to um, an auction block and there was a teenage girl that people were bidding on. And so he bid on this slave teenage girl and he won. And she figured that he was just another white man who was going to take her and treat her as property and abuse her. And so filled with fear, she stepped down from the platform and started to walk with him. And as they walked away from the auction and they got a ways away, uh, the story says that Abraham Lincoln stopped and he looked at her and he said, young lady, you are free. And she looked at him and said, does that mean I can say whatever I want to say? And he said, yes, my dear. She said, does that mean I could be whatever I want to be? And he said, yes, my dear, you can be whatever you want to be. She said, does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? And he said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And then with tears streaming down her face, when she realized what happened, that she moved from this place of fear to this place of hope, she looked at him and said, then I will go with you. You see, we're a lot like that slave girl, spiritually speaking. We're trapped in our sin. The Bible says all of us sin and fall short of God's glory. And God comes through the power and the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus took our penalty of sin on the cross. And when we give our lives to him, he sets us free. And when we understand what was really involved and we understand how much love, how much grace, how much mercy God gave us, it sets our hearts in emotion to the place where we want to please him. We want to bring glory to him. We want to live lives before his face in a way that honors him. There's no higher purpose or goal than to live the way that God wants us to live. Coram Deo, to live before the face of God is a rooted concept in scripture. It's also referred to another title called the fear of the Lord, which is a deep reverent awe of God because of who he is and what he has done. 
that he's watching and present all the time. And when we know that it changes how we live, think, act, and behave. The Bible talks about fear of the Lord this way and says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You see, when it's all said and done, when each of us dies, we will stand before God and we'll have to give an account to a holy God, not to a human being. And that verse is saying that the fear of the Lord, understanding that, that we will give an account to a holy God is the beginning of all wisdom. To live before the face of God is to carry that idea and that wisdom with us each and every day. This week, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to think about a question. And maybe I'm going to put the question up on the screen in a second. Maybe you can take a picture of it with your phone or write it down in a journal. But I want you to reflect upon this question throughout this week. And the question is this. Do you really understand that you live before the face of God? Do you really understand that you live before the face of God? That that's the reality of life. And if that is so, then how does that motivate you? What is that? What uh, encouragement do you get from that? What challenges you about that? What are things that need to happen because of that? But I want you to take time this week and wrestle with that question. Do you really understand just that phrase that we live before the face of God? All that you say, all that you post, all that you do, all that you think, all that you judge, all that you love, all that you long for is always known to God. It's an amazing thought to think you are seen by God and you are fully known by God. And it doesn't ever stop. Do you really understand this? I think all of us need to go deeper in this thought because I don't think we spend much time with this, but it's so powerful once we do. And it can bring transformation to our lives. It will help us to understand the power and the kindness of God and lead us to that beautiful place of repentance. Given what we're experiencing in life right now during this time of pandemic and, and the division in our country, given that we want to respond to God's word and this idea of quorum Deo, I think there's no better way for us to express this as a church body and a church family as Crossview Church to acknowledge our unity around the idea of how we want to honor God and love him and experience what Jesus Christ did for us fully by taking communion together as a church. So I love us to move into a time of communion. And if you are uh, at home watching this, I would encourage you uh, to, if it's with your family or if you're just by yourself, uh, to prepare your heart for communion. And I'm going to ask you to pause the video and gather elements that you around your house. It can be a bread or a cracker, uh, and then it can be juice. And if you don't have any juice, it could be water. Uh, the material really doesn't matter. Uh, it's a symbol that helps us to reflect and know 
what God did for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we want to remember that. And so that's the purpose of communion. So pause the video at this time and gather as many elements as you need, depending on who's watching this. Uh, I will say by way of instruction, you don't need to be a member of Crossview Church to do this with us. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, by all means, we want you to participate with us. And parents, uh, your kids are welcomed to join us in this if they understand uh, that Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord, and they've asked him, invited him into their life, and that they understand that communion just helps us to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, by all means, they can join us and we leave that decision in your hands. So let's pause right now. Uh, go to your cupboards and wherever you need to go and uh, get some um, elements for communion and we will take communion together. So let's pause the video and do that. Okay, hopefully you've... Uh, have some uh, elements, either a cracker or something like that, and something to drink to symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And with that, uh, God encourages us to uh, examine our lives before we take communion. And maybe part of that examination today could be a renewing of our mind in knowing that everything we do, we live before the face of God. And so please bow your heads with me as I pray, and then we'll take communion together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word that guides us and leads us. I thank you for your spirit that empowers us and gives us strength. Uh, God, we ask that during this time you would search us and know us. God, if there's things we need to repent of, we want to do that now. God, if there's things we need to remember and renew, we want to do that now. And so God, we just stay here in a few moments of silence and ask you to guide and lead your children, your people who are taking part in this right now. God, thank you for the gift of confession. Thank you for the gift of repentance and being able to stand before you forgiven. And thank you for the gift of communion that reminds us of the amazing love, of the amazing power, of the amazing work of your son Jesus on the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the gift of communion that unites us as your church and your people and reminds us of the most greatest act of love that has ever been given to the human race, Jesus Christ coming to a cross and dying for us. God, we ask that you now help us to grow deeper in this truth of the love and the power of Jesus Christ 
and that you help us this week to grow deeper in the truth that we live lives quorum Deo. We live lives before the face of you, almighty God. Let that guide us and lead us. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. love that welcomes me the kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving God you're so
what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so you church family take these words of benediction with you this week may the god of all comfort and the god of peace and the god of hope guard your minds and your hearts carry you and watch over you fill you with his spirit so that you may know his love for you and live that out wherever you are in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit thank you cross church we hope to see you soon